Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Avengers Age of Ultron, directed by Joss Whedon and released in 2015. The plot of Avengers Age of Ultron goes something like this. When Tony Stark tries to jumpstart an artificial intelligence peacekeeping program, things go awry and it is up to the Avengers to stop the villainous Ultron from enacting his terrible plans. And uh, just at this point, if you haven't seen Avengers Age of Ultron yet, we are probably going to talk spoilers in this episode. So, probably. Uh, definitely. <laughs> definitely, definitely going to talk spoilers in this episode. So maybe come back when it has been released in your country. Okay, so um, we did Avengers last week mm-hmm. and that was lots of fun to revisit. And then I watched this one. I enjoyed it a lot when I was watching it. It's very funny. I enjoyed a lot of the character beats and stuff. And then when I finished watching it, I was like, that was good. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. And I'm try- I am can't, like, I've been thinking about it for the last two days. And I can't figure out what it is about this movie that doesn't hook me and doesn't land with me. But I, I just can't figure it out. But it didn't land with me. I had a similar experience. Enjoyed watching it. Had a great time. Laughed. Enjoyed visiting Jossland again, but afterwards, and then in the la- in the re- subsequent days, the more I think about it, the more problems I have with it, and the more dissatisfied I am. I mean, I don't hate it. An average uh, Avengers movie is always going to be better than like ninety percent of it, other stuff out there. But my first in- initial response was just it was overload. There was so much going on. There was so much packed into the movie, and it was pu- pulled together in what seemed like something of a hurry. That that was, I think, an issue. I think Joss was given slightly too free a hand on the script. I don't know. The I think there's a lot of things that they had to put in there, like the Infinity Gauntlet stuff that mm. was just really irritating for me. And I was like, we don't need to think about this right now. Let's just concentrate on this story. But, yeah, it, there were a lot of characters. There was something that I noticed that this is – Avengers Age of Ultron is kind of like a greatest hits of a lot of Joss things I've already seen. Ah. Like the plot is kind of similar to Serenity in the we wanted to try and force everybody to have peace and then it didn't work and they reacted against it. Mm. So Ultron is kind of like the ultimate Reaver in a lot of ways. And then um, the ending, uh, when um, Scarlet Witch pulls Ultron's heart out, that reminded me of Primeval, which is the Buffy episode where um, everybody gives Buffy their powers and she becomes super powerful and rips out Adam's core. And oh, yeah. There's a, <laughs> was a lot of stuff in it. Like, there were a few other moments that reminded me of other Joss things, and that was strange for me. I mean, that not necessarily a bad thing. It was just like I was thinking about all of those different things. I didn't pick I, up on those, yeah. I feel like if I watched Captain America 2 and they all talked like they do in a Joss Whedon movie, that would be the perfect Marvel movie. Mm. See, yeah, I was a bit over the Jossie dialogue in this one. It just kind of was a bit too much at points for me. I don't know. It just seemed to kind of – there was peak Joss or something. I did also say after I came out of it, I think we've hit peak superhero and the sort know. of the cluster I hope the, not, um, because of the Avengers we haven't press even, tours. Yeah, I know. That's we why haven't even gotten to like – The girl the, ones. The girls and Which the, is why I'm, I'm horrified at myself for saying it. Um, I don't think we have. I th- I just think what we need to do is pull back from the crossover overload ones a little bit. Take a breath and kind of um, and have them be more focused on like individual. Because I do think I I mean Captain America two was so good. It was really really wonderful. And, and Iron Man America- three was really good too. I mean, Iron Man three was good too. But Captain America two for me was just the, easily the best um, mm. Marvel movie. And it focuses on like it has a really big plot. Mm. 
But it also focuses on, like, Steve going through that plot with his friends. Mm. And it's much less, like, everybody trying to get moments and stuff. And it, that worked really well in Avengers. And I still think he manages pretty well to give everybody something to do and, mm. and have character arcs for everybody. But I just think maybe Age of Ultron was a little overstuffed. Yeah, I, I and there's the, it smacks of a couple of things that Joss hates, which is the bit where he's he's got that the Infinity Gauntlet stuff, the stuff where he has to kind of keep things in there to for the rest of the universe to fit in and to keep it all working for the movies that come after him. So, and we know he hates that. He often talks about how he wants a complete movie and all that sort of stuff. So there's some things there that are kind of where he's sort of going against his own natural type, and I, yeah, I think just. The sheer overload. I felt um, also overstimulated at the end. Like you get dropped in at the beginning, and there's an amazing Joss tracking shot, which we talked about last week. We'll yeah. go through all my the favorite characters. shot of Avengers was the open, almost the opening shot of this one. Yeah. So they they just they drop you right in the middle of it. We're right in the middle of a heap of action. The camera is flying around like crazy, and everyone's doing their thing, and it's kind of amazing. But it's also kind of by the end of it, I was just like, I, I'd been sort of overloaded with stuff coming at me and people and things and just it was all like too much Hmm. yeah maybe that i don't i i can't actually put my finger on what it is like if it had connected with me none of that would have mattered yeah and that's i think that there is some kind of lack of connection there's a couple of bits that jar with me like just don't quite work i'm not a great hulk tasha fan oh i see i liked them and that didn't i don't actually think i can't think of any moments that particularly jarred with me I just didn't come out of it feeling like I had connected to the movie and the characters that I already love, mm. which doesn't make a lot of sense. But I actually did like – I think my favourite person in this movie was Natasha. Yeah. And I, I – you know what I really liked? I liked the Avengers at the end, the new, advent, uh, new Avengers. Oh, yeah, I want to yeah. watch them have a movie. I'm looking forward to that movie because it takes your two favourites from the other Avengers and then <laughs> throws in a whole heap of even more awesome favourites. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it is the team from Cap 2 with a couple extras. Yeah. And my favourite new character from this one, which was um, which was Scarlet Witch, uh-huh. who I feel like has a lot of potential mm. within the movie-verse to develop really interestingly. I felt like maybe the twins needed a little bit more time in this one and because there were too many people, they didn't have enough time to really connect properly. I think the, the main sort of – they were kind of like Simon and River for me, like the main – kind of way we connected with them was their connection with each other yep. and how much they looked after each other and everything so that you knew that they weren't necessarily horrible people. And when you hear their backstory, then it's really sad. What she does to the team is just horrendously awful. I mean, really, really horrible. That that bit as well with where she goes in, where she um, starts to meddle with all of their brains and their dreams, that was another bit of the movie that's quite an overload because you've got... See, that was my favourite part of the movie. I felt like maybe the big fight at the end was kind of underwhelming after that happened because uh, partly because the big fight at the end didn't actually have like a big moment where it ended. Mm. It kind of fizzled apart. <laughs> or like, do you know what I mean? Like, it oh, just kind of. I would argue that the big moment is where um, Quicksilver dies. Yeah. So, but I- the thing is, it felt like almost like the movie was over before that happened. Like, because they'd gotten rid of Ultron and then Ultron comes back and goes away again. And then at the very end, he comes back again. Mm. So it doesn't, you never have that moment where, like, the moment where Ultron is actually defeated, it happens, it's done by Vision, who we've only just met. 
and in like completely away from the battle. Also, Vision's speech in that part is like Anya's speech from the end of Buffy. Right. When she talks about the flaws of humanity and how they always stand up and how there's uh, beauty in that was. I knew it see, sounded this familiar. Is the thing, yeah. Is this is my greatest Joss hits thing that and I felt is, like Ultron well, was. And that I think is why that thing that he said it was such a per- uh, personal story. Mm. You can see all these bits and pieces that he's put in other work come together in this. And I think for people who aren't already big Joss fans, it's probably really great to hear it all. Mm. Like, it's probably really interesting ideas and stuff. Yeah. Well, and I they mean, are interesting ideas. It yeah, just feels I, like I've seen that before. Exactly. And uh, like recycling stories, there's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of wonderful stories that are recycled. But I don't know. I think I just had some things that kind of bugged me. I, I wasn't a great fan of all those dreams just because there was so much going on, particularly Thor's. Thor's was like crazy Heimdall and all these other people. And Thor's, I don't think, was his worst fear. No, it was a... And that's what's interesting. I don't think she's doing the same thing to everybody. And it did, it took me a while to figure it out because I was like, why is everybody afraid of dancing girls? Um, mm. No, I think... So what they showed was actually... You saw Natasha's worst mm. fear, like her memories being awful. But I think what it showed Steve was just that he... It, Steve it, it one is the of, one I liked. That was he basically has this closure of this Peggy storyline. Yeah, but it, there's a moment of clarity I think as well for him where he's like, "Oh, that's not what I want anymore." Yeah, I, I really and I liked that. Bit. Upsetting for him for a moment, but then he kind of realizes that that's yeah. okay so and he can let that go. His, I really, yeah, exactly. And I liked Natasha's because it was fascinating. Yeah, um, Natasha's was fascinating. Um, there's a problematic bit later on. Which yeah, no, I know. In a minute, I see. Yeah, I think uh, the I th- I think there was a couple of, a conflation of a couple of different ideas when there's this Bruce Tasha scene later that I'm not sure is entirely intentional. But anyway, and then and then um Thor's is not a nightmare. It's it's a vision essentially mm-hmm. of what's going to happen if he doesn't figure out what's going on. Yeah. Also, I was interested in the, the concept that Thor is essentially comic relief for this movie. And then yeah. like 90% com- comic relief and 10% making the plot happen. Well, yeah. And I, quite, I actually quite like that because that's sort of using Thor's different skill set in that he's got this connection to visions and gods and monsters yeah. and stuff. Um, well, and that's fine. I mean, I didn't I didn't, didn't hate it. It just was like there's just so, so much going on. That was on. my favorite part. Yeah. I really liked that part. And then the bit, the problematic bit. I've been thinking about it afterwards. I don't think that they meant because they're talking. Natasha's talking about how they sterilized her, and right? she's a monster, right? I don't think they meant that she's a monster because she's sterilized. Mm. I think that they were talking about her being a monster because of the things that she did in the red room, right. and that's why she's saying she's a monster. Okay, but because the line comes right after the conversation, they were just so she was explaining the whole thing about the red room, right? And then at the end of it, she said, you think you're the only monster. And I don't think that the idea right. there is that she was sterilized, therefore she's a monster. Okay. It's that they turned her into a monster and this was part of them turning her into a monster. Okay. Because when I was watching it, that took me back too. And I was like, wait, that's gross. And then I thought about it afterwards and I was like, no, that's the – she's talking about how they trained her and her vision mm. and like the horrible things that she had to do in that vision and stuff. Okay. But it didn't come across very well in that scene. And I no. wonder if some of the scene might have been cut out to fit the yeah. movie. I, I think it might have. Because the I funny thing was the it scene didn't was quite running. didn't flow right either. Yeah, no, the scene didn't run right. You're absolutely yeah. right there. Because uh, I didn't actually think of it while I was watching it. And then there's that our favourite Hello Taylor wrote a little piece about it. But I actually noticed it while I was watching yeah. it that that line came, her monster line came right after talking about how she can't have kids. Mm. But I don't think she's saying she's a monster because she can't have right. kids. She's saying she's a monster because they made her so evil that she couldn't, like the, the, the concept that she could never love anything else was mm. kind of what 
that what was they were going trying for. to instill yeah in and the, I, in the red I room. just think that cuts okay. and and or something about the way the scene flowed it it ended up not presenting the same way so the, the, it, it sort of got to me at that time but the, there are also some bits that just little lines that didn't quite sit with me very early on we get steve telling iron man off for his language just so that they can make a recurring joke of it that was funny it was funny but it just seemed kind of weird anyway the party scene they hang a lantern on the fact that jane foster and pepper Potts aren't there and it's really awkward yeah i i mean <laughs> just they like, couldn't ah! i know and the thing is they couldn't be there and they clearly want them there, and so that's why they hang a lantern on them not being there. But at the same time, you're like, it's you guys, you have to let this go. Yeah, I, it just makes it really like oh, what it did to me was just really show up the lack of women. Yeah, but that's the thing is that they're trying to say like, but we wanted to have the women, and they but couldn't be couldn't, in the yeah. movie. I just mm, so yeah, like I, I mean, I, it is. It, I, I didn't. I didn't think it was icky so much as like you don't need to put that in there. Talk about it in the press tour or something. How they couldn't be yeah. in the movie. Don't put it in the movie. Yeah, it was I think just, it was more the thing for I, me because I, I wouldn't have, like I wouldn't have noticed otherwise. I mean, I would have because I'm. I mean, when he talks to Selvig. I was like, we get Selvig instead of Jane. I, he would have probably gone to Jane, but she, Natalie Portman, wasn't going to be, couldn't be in this movie. So yeah, it's just these little awkward moments that kind of jarred me. And there were a few of them like that. Um, I'm trying to remember all of them. I can't actually recall any moments when I was watching it, apart from that um, sterilization bit. Yeah, that scene was done a disservice, I think, because um, yeah. I really liked their earlier scene where she's flirting with him at the party. I loved that scene. That's that was a wonderful sort scene. of noir scene. It was, it was really well done. It, you kind of almost stepped out of this movie into another movie. Yeah, and it looks great and it's like she delivers it so well and stuff. Um, the other thing I noticed about Ultron, I really liked Ultron. Oh, yeah. James Spader, how perfect was he for that role? He was really, really good. Really good. And uh, Jamie and I were talking about how Ultron is Tony, but mm. like – with certain traits magnified. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then vision is kind of other parts of Tony. It's like the softer side. Right. So, and, and we talked about this last time as well mm. um, about Tony. And I still love Tony. I do. Even after this movie, I still really love Tony. Because Tony, and I, there's something that I really love that Tony does in this movie. He basically creates something that's going to destroy the world. Mm. And immediately after that, he's like about to make what seems like exactly the same mistake again. And he's like, no, I know I'm right. I know we can do this. And I like that he still has enough belief in himself and that is part of his character that he's not going to go into a total shame spiral like Bruce does or something like that mm. and that he's going to pick himself up and go, no, no, this time it really is right. Well, he knows he's done wrong and he has to make it right. Yes, I know, but the thing and is that's that why, he, And that's why he knows he's the only one who can. Yeah, and I, I, I like that, and I respect him a lot for that. Yeah, I, I no, I didn't mind Tony at all in this. There were some bits that were he's he's looking a bit more like ragged and but they're doing that on purpose. Yeah, yeah, to the group, and that's fine. And it's sort of starting the edges are starting to fray, which is great. But I, I really liked the way his arc worked in this story. Yeah, and and the way it ended with him and Cap having that kind of nice chat together yeah so that. they're boyfriends again until the next until Civil yeah. War when they're at each other's throats again yeah but they'll be boyfriends again by the end yeah nice. the very beginning there's a bit where where tony has the vision of all the avengers dead and he yeah. goes up to steve <laughs> like the very first person that he talks to is steve and he's like are you okay which just entertained well me. and and i thought that was that was actually very telling because he has he has the molly weasley bogart mm. and it's one of those things where you see the genuine un the kindness and caring yep. side of him underneath like he would be absolutely devastated and that's his worst fear is losing all of his team mm. so i thought that was actually quite a 
beautiful little character moment for him. Yeah. So, yeah, I like Tony. But Ultron is kind of like Stark in a lot of ways. Yeah. But one of the things that I noticed with the dialogue is, you know how I said to you that Nick Fury seemed to have the most Jossie dialogue in the first one? Yeah, yeah. I feel like Ultron had that one in, that in this one. Uh, yes, yes. Oh, my and, God, definitely. And here's what I was thinking about afterwards. Robert, uh, all the other actors, Robert Downey Jr. and ScarJo and a lot of the other ones, they have this sense of their characters and they put these twists on lines that I think are quite uh, different, that make the lines different for each of them along with being written well for each of them, right? So I think Robert, what Robert Downey Jr. does is he adds a lot of Robert Downey Jr. Like he already, there's already a lot of Robert in Tony Stark. Mm. And so when Joss writes for him and he brings those lines out through Tony, they change a lot and they become like perfect for him. Like it's the melding of the two of them. He doesn't need quite as much crafting on his lines either anymore. Right. But it's not uh, like, I think that Joss Whedon writes really well for him Mm. and then he adds what he already knows about Tony Stark and his own personality into that. And then it comes out as something different. But when similar lines are written for Ultron, they sound jossier because James Spader hasn't been Ultron as long. And so he doesn't have that extra thing that he. And yes, uh, that's what I assumed right. when I heard and, him. Right, and well, a bit like with um, Bradley Cooper playing Rocket Raccoon, actually, he's got a real snark to his personality, like as an actor, and that he brings mm. to the role. And I think that it they fit him like a, a suit of armor kind of thing. They just the the lines suit his personality as well as his performance. Yeah, and so Ultron, I think it was just that James Spader was like. He did a great job, mm. and and Ultron was really interesting. It was more just that that I don't think he was as like he'd been doing it as long, mm. and that he didn't have that same kind of already established thing that he was bringing to Ultron. Yeah, and so Ultron's lines came out sounding more like they did on the page, and that doesn't always work quite as well when they're Joss Whedon lines. So Fair you enough. know when he does that thing where he's in the middle of a sum- sentence and he goes, "So yeah," and that sort of stuff. That was the kind of thing that, like, you can hear Tony say that, yep. but it would sound different when Tony said it to what mm. the way Ultron said it. I actually, anyway. yeah, I, I still thought it, he was good. I still enjoy, I enjoyed that. I kind of, it it's a, has a wonderful way of disarming you and kind of sympathizing the villain a little bit. Oh, I agree. I was just thinking about it from a, a crafting perspective because mm. it's interesting. Like, yeah. they, these guys do all know their roles really well and are very comfortable in them and, uh, and they have that kind of ease with each other as well. So... Do we want to talk about the Hawkeye thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, Hawkeye, right, right, right. Linda Cardellini and all that. Mm. Yes, that was interesting. <laughs> it took me about two seconds before I – like when, when he went safe house, I was like – because you know when he, earlier on he's talking to uh, – he says he doesn't have a girlfriend yeah. and then they do the who are you talking to on the phone and he says girlfriend thing. Yeah, but you're going to the safe man. house. And I was like, oh – they're going to his girlfriend's house and he's had to keep his girlfriend secret for some reason. So I was really, really close, but not the wife and kids idea. Yeah, I didn't um, – I'd heard the bit where you overhear him saying, yes, ma'am, and I just assumed it was going to be uh, – we, we know we're going to his farm because we saw it in the trailer. And I, I don't know – I didn't I didn't remember that, Oh, I guess. T- Tumblr lost its shit. For some reason, the trailer – in the first trailer, you could see the farm bit. And for some reason, Tumblr seemed to know that it was Hawkeye's farm and they lost their shit over it. So I don't know why. I mean, maybe that's part of an earlier set of comics or something, but the, I know the Matt Fraction run, the No, the he doesn't Hawkeye's have any – no, like no, that. no, no. The, uh, well, that's uh, – I think that was actually the thing. They had to go with their movie Hawkeye, take the movie Hawkeye in a completely different direction to the Fraction Hawkeye. Yeah. Because Fraction Hawkeye is basically Daredevil and Daredevil already exists in the cinematic universe. 
Yeah. Um, but and there's other things too, like in the comics, he's married or ha- was married to Bobby Morse, who's also exists in the cinematic universe, but isn't wasn't ever married to him. And so I think they kind of just had to come up with a new kind of thing for him. And I, I didn't. It was actually quite good. Like he got a good story. He got something to do this time, and it kind of meant they started to actually deal with the whole them having lives outside of just being superheroes kind of stuff, which is always fascinating to me. I liked the little moment when Scarlet Witch was about to do mind control on him and he stopped her that was that was really good and then i i was thinking i really like the scene at the end in the final battle where he's like i don't have time to babysit mm. yeah 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 that just speech died. is like the that turning was, po- point of the movie i mean that's a major that was, major that moment bit, i love that bit yeah well i appreciate that it was quicksilver that they killed rather than one of the ladies or something like that i don't necessarily think that the killing of quicksilver was as necessary to the story as you might think mm. i don't know because just before that happened, I went, oh, this is going to happen. Yeah. And that's that's what's going to set off Scarlet Witch and then all this sort of stuff. But And and I'm assuming Quicksilver's going to come back somehow. Mm, okay. I mean, Scarlet Witch, for future reference, I don't know if it's actually going to happen in the movies, but Scarlet Witch is just, like, stupid powerful. Like, her biggest storyline um, is House of M, where she literally completely reorganizes the entire world like destroys all but a third of the mutants so and that's her most famous storyline so i don't know how powerful she's going to get in these movies but i can definitely see her being powerful enough to bring quicksilver back and going like all dark willow yeah and they (laughs) but then they do have that nod though because our vision kind of sweeps her off her feet at the end yeah controversial Um, opinion i don't really like vision yeah I'm, i'm kind of meh about vision he looked cool but i didn't i i thought um, he was a bit too deus ex machinery. Mm. So I just looked down at my notes in front of me. I've written deus ex helicarrier. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when we only get vision like at the end of the third act, but a second act basically. So we don't have enough of a connection with him for him to. No, and Paul Bettany was working his butt off and, and he looked cool. Mm. But I do think he was too much too deus ex machinery and yep. too. Um, I, I like the Avengers solving their own problems. Yeah, with that. And really the whole thing ended up being solved by largely Scarlet Witch and Vision, who are both new characters mm. to this story. And I don't – I think that might be part of why it didn't connect. I was quite Avengers with is Scarlet so, Witch, though. I did quite like her. And I know, I'm glad but she not, got that. she's yeah. new. And she's only an Avenger for the last, like, five minutes or whatever it was in the mm. movie. I think one of the reasons that the Avengers, the first one, connects so well is because it's so personal when they go after New York because that's where Tony lives, that's where Steve grew up, that's what <laughs> Bruce destroyed once. Um, yeah. And it's like – they You've already like they been owe, there for the whole and, movie and as well. And they owe it, yeah, to New York to save them. Right. But it's also, it is that kind of like, this is their home that they're mm-hmm. fighting in and all that sort of stuff. And at the end of this one, it was Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch's home, mm. who we only started liking like 10 minutes ago. So what are we doing here? Mm. Well, there, there definitely was a bit of that. Like, you, um, when they go to Wakanda to find um, Andy Serkis, the, there's the whole thing and the big fight in Johannesburg and all that kind of stuff. They've really tried to internationalize it, which is great. So there'll be some people watching who are like, oh, my God, that's my city they're trying to save. Or that's my city the Hulk is destroying. But but it isn't their city. And it was personal for Tony because he made Ultron. But Yeah, and the Wakanda bit was personal he wasn't in for it enough. Tony and Steve because of the um, vibranium and stuff. But not like kind of, in but the not same really. way. But yeah. I didn't – I thought that was a bit too much of an aside, a, a well, side I know, it's just, quest. It, it's, that's – the movie is just so overstuffed with people and stuff going on. And it might be it a bit was, episodic too. Yeah. Now, now that we're talking through it, like all the little bits that are that go on, it's just it's absolutely packed. 
Hmm. The thing is, you could really you could watch the party scene for a whole movie, and everybody would be happy, right? I don't I don't want to watch that for the whole movie, but that was what those little quiet moments would handled a lot better in the Avengers. I thought those those sorts of moments. Well, they didn't the like each moments. other in the Avengers, yeah, though. But they were handled the the moments where they were meeting each other and bumping up against each other. They worked a bit better. I don't know. I thought that worked really well in this one. That one and the farm scene were, uh, and the worst fears were like my p- favorite parts, and the rest of it I could take or leave. Really, I'm just thinking about the farm scene now. And I liked the wood. lullaby <laughs> when Natasha did the lullaby for Bruce for the Hulk, and I liked her relationship with Bruce and the Hulk and how they were different. And I, mm. I liked Natasha. I li- and actually, Bruce. I really, I, I liked that. I just, I think it was, I think I've been put off by the way that later scene went. The yeah, one that, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, it's choppy and it's weird. But them in the field, the way that they've discovered that she can help him transition and and calm him back down again. Yeah, that was that was fascinating. I thought that was far more fascinating than the other kind of discussion that they. But she can also tell him what to do. Yeah, and like she jumps on his back and flies somewhere. On- <laughs> I would really like to know how the Hulk works. Yeah, well, because last week when we were talking about, you know, the whole difference between when he chooses to transition and when he and when he is forced into it. Mm. But clearly he's choosing to do it, but there's also some level of like he can interact with certain people if if it's done. But that's in the, right the thing way. is that we see what do we see? We see three Hulk scenes in this. The first one he only kills the bad guys. The second one his is forced on him. But I think we need more of a comparison to him in Johannesburg to somewhere else because somewhere else surrounded by civilians or something like that because it was like because it wasn't just a forced transition it was a forced scarlet witch transition. Yeah, and and he was like he was crazy crazy out of control in Johannesburg. Yeah. He was like a kid throwing a tantrum yeah, she, with no control she whatsoever. Properly messed with it. So and then the third one he seemed to be around civilians, but he didn't hurt any of them. And then he's like, oh, I'm a monster. I must send myself off into space. And you're like, but you didn't hurt anybody who, no. apart from robots in that last fight. Well, that's it. And, and the, fir- the last fight is not much different from and the nobody, first fight. But nobody ever says any of this to him. Like, it, it seems like a really obvious <laughs> tactic right. you- for, like, <laughs> telling him that he's not a bad guy would be to say, by the way, you're actually doing really well around civilians when you're not, like, literally being forced and being used as a weapon. And, and also, why doesn't Scarlet Witch feel any guilt for all of the people who died in Johannesburg? How many people died in Johannesburg? By this movie, seemingly none. I, I mean, the concept of guilt in these movies is really strange because, like, mm. uh, yeah, I, I mean, Black Widow and Hulk have good reason to feel guilty for the things they've done. They have killed innocent people. Yeah. But Bruce Banner's never killed an innocent person in his life, except maybe you could argue when he worked with Tony to make Ultron. But mm. does Ultron kill any innocent people? Oh, Seriously, does few... Ultron kill any innocent people well, in this movie? I think a few people die in that random foreign country that was made up, Sokovia. I think a few people must die there, yeah. But we never see them and it's never <laughs> said oh. to us that they die. That's the thing is that it's because they're trying to make these PG movies, you don't know who died. They so really, it makes it really hard. This is bad. Talk about the defanging of violence. Like you just – nobody dies. There's no consequences to but any of this. But that's the thing is that they clearly are because everybody yeah. feels so guilty about it. So there must be innocent people dying. Yeah. But they can't directly say that innocent people are dying in these moments. So – and like you see Tony scan this building, right? Like mm-hmm. this empty – um, building that's being worked on and it's like zero life signs oh, and he's well, like okay buddy we can go in here and there's people on the street all they, below them it collapses 
like 9-11, right? It colla- it's a building, all- like a super tall building, and the way it collapses, like we know what happens when that happens. Yeah, it's vaguely Man of Steely, isn't it? Yeah. And, and like, you know, the Battle of New York is actually kind of similar, is that we don't ever see anybody. We see, like, a body in that, though, and we don't ever get to see a body in any of these scenes. But acknowledging that there are people, like, who have died in this fight so far would also be, you'd think, acceptable? Well, especially because Iron Man 3 and Captain America the Winter Soldier are all about the the trauma they've got gone through after that. The Battle of New York was considered a big enough thing and a big enough trauma in the universe I, so obviously there there have been consequences, but they just kind of gloss over them. I feel like all of these things that we're talking about would have been forgivable, much more forgivable and much more like I would have overlooked them a lot more if there had been that. Like if I had come out of it the way I come out of watching Avengers. Neither of us really felt attached to it. No, I think I really only felt attached to Natasha. I felt yeah. so bad for her. Yeah, at the end of the God. film when she's standing by herself and everything's been taken away from her and then she like pulls herself together and goes off and does her job, yeah. which she and Steve have in common, which I think is one of the reasons why they work so well together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was my favourite too. I, I liked Scarlet Witch as well, but I think, yeah, Natasha's still but my favourite. Scarlet Witch was on the bad guy side and also did some incredibly questionable things, like possibly killing lots of people in Johannesburg. Maybe I'm just desperate for other women to relate to. I don't know. Um, but, no, I, but the thing is, she was quite interesting. Although, yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I also, I'm not like, I love her. I was just, I, I, when she was on screen, I wanted more of her. Their Russian accents. Oh, God. All of the accents in this movie are like, why are you doing this to us? I think Thor. Chris Hemsworth still seems to slip He's a lot. still not good, is he? But <laughs> I, I'm definitely correct in my, like, long troll kind of – he's doing this kind of long troll um, comedic performance that's going on. But, yeah, he's – He always feels like he's not quite part of the group. Like, nobody's really friends with Thor. No. Everybody's always talking about Thor as if he's, like – well, he's, like, a god. And it would be really nice to see one of our heroes – connect with Thor as a f- on a friendship like personal level mm. to kind of bring him because everybody else gets one and it's not really surprising at all when he runs off and finds Selvig and no and and but it's also not like he never seems to be really a fully part fully mm. part of the team and I I would like no. to see at least one person have that actual friendship with him yep cuz like Natasha seems to be friends with everybody she does yes um, what are you giving it? I was trying to think about this no. when I wrote it in my book and I was like... <laughs> There's a reason I asked you first. Is it? I mean, it's it's good. And I feel like giving it a low score wouldn't be giving it the credit for being good. But at the same time, like, it didn't connect with me that much. So I was tossing up between three and a half and four stars. That's exactly where I am. And okay. I, gave, I gave Guardians three and a half, I think. And I think perhaps maybe I like this a little bit more, but... I still feel like it's probably a three and a half movie. Yeah, I'm. I'll go with three and a half. Okay, no worries. All right, thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you want to read our show notes, they're available on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to get in contact with us, what? I did forget to mention something. What? Falcons in two whole scenes of this movie, and it made me so happy every time I saw him. Of course. I literally hit Jamie both times. I was like, look, look, it's Falcon. Poor Jamie. Yay, Falcon. And then he gets to be part of the next Avengers. Actually, that kind of got me more excited. The thought of the new team and how that's going to go. The new team is so much cooler. All right. So where was I? Right. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, we you can find us on Twitter at screen underscore queens. You can find us on Facebook or you can find us on Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. 
com and don't forget also to check out Katie's blog which is silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com yeah there's more stuff I wanted to say what do you want to say I'm thinking about it all now um I was just thinking about Maria Hill yes who I think is quite underrated in these oh, movies and should be given more credit for she was how given a bit more to do this time which I was quite pleased with I think she's given a similar amount to do in both like she's just sort of this very very capable reliable person who is always there and being capable and reliable and I like that mm. but I also just realized I think part of the reason why this movie doesn't work as well is also the lack of Coulson. Ah. Because Coulson is this really, really grounding human element. And, like, just in general, there wasn't a grounding human element apart from Hawkeye's um, barefoot and pregnant wife, <laughs> who, Linda Cardellini, did a great job. But, you know, still, yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's the only really humanizing element of the movie. And she's not somebody we're familiar with. And Coulson always brought that. And brought this kind of like grounding influence, but also he was somebody that everybody liked. But I, I just I do think like not so much just Coulson, but what Coulson represents is mm. really lacking from the movies now. Okay, and I think that was one of the reasons maybe why it didn't work quite as well is that lack of that guy. All right, uh, are you done? Have you have you talked about everything? <laughs> yeah, until they have another brainwave in the middle of your whole spiel. Well, I've done my spiel now. I just have to say thank you for listening. Bye, bye. See you next time.